So that's the interesting thing about goals. You can go beyond the goal and you will, if you run this thing the right way, you'll go beyond the goals. It's not the goal. The goal's not the key. Key is what you become in pursuit of the goal. And oftentimes when you're doing things the right way, you actually will get to a point where it's time to get the goal. And it's like, I don't even want that goal anymore. I want this, but you have the financial wherewithal to do it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Today's episode with Jim Shorkey is a tour de force. We get into how he transformed his family business from one dealership to many, selling hundreds to selling thousands of cars per year, and also how he went from the company being on the imminent verge of bankruptcy to having more economic and financial success than 99% of dealerships out there find. I am confident you will be blown away by Jim's energy, the clarity of his vision, and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Here is Jim Shorkey. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Jim, I'm super appreciative that you're making the time to be on the show. I'm really I'm excited super to talk glad you're making the time to have you on the show. I love, I love it. I'm glad to be here. So I want to paint a picture. And I was reading your book, and I, I saw these kind of two stats that really, to me, summarize uh, one of the many transformations that you've experienced over the course of your life. And that is the year 1998 and the year 2019. In 1998, your family car dealership was one dealership yes. with 40 employees and was selling about 800 new and used cars per year. Correct. And by 2019, you had built that into nine dealerships, over 800 employees, and more than 15,000 new and used cars sold per, per year. Correct. There's a lot of principles that made that possible. It's not, we can just, you know, give them one prescription and let them run there. But to kind of start things off, can you take us back to those early days of running the family business, where your mindset was and what needed amending? Okay. So, so my father is the founder of the company. So I'm second generation. So the, the company was founded in uh, 1974. And at that time it was called Courtesy Oldsmobile Jeep. So it really is a 50 year old uh, company soon. That said, uh, I, I always worked in the car business. I worked part-time jobs in high school and college, and you know, I always wanted to be in the car business. I always wanted to sell cars from the young young age, and that was obviously a great deal because of my dad. You know, worship my dad, worship the ground he walked on. I wanted to be like dad, that kind of thing. But I always wanted to be a car salesman. So, you know. Fast forward to uh, 1979, I graduated from college. Uh, I have a degree in economics and math. And, uh, I, you know, people thought, what are you going to do now? I'm, I'm going to go sell cars. Like, what? You're going to go sell cars? Yeah, that's all I, what I want to do. So, I, 1979, I'm selling cars. And then I, I did very well selling cars. And so, I got moved up in, in the business and, and so proceeded to run my career. It was mainly around selling. So, I was a salesman and I directed sales. And I was at the end of, the, at the end of, of that, that part of it. I was the general sales manager. My father was the founder and the owner and the operator, and he ran everything except for the sales and even oversaw the sales as well. So my father died uh, very suddenly, March 24th, 1996, and uh, he literally dropped dead. Uh, he was only 63 years old. And, um, How old and were you at the time? I was, uh, so it would have been 19, uh, 1996, I was uh, 30, uh, 39, right? Yeah, 39, 39 years old, yeah. And so I still miss my dad. I mean, my, I met with my dad every single day. My whole career in the car business, except for at the beginning, I met with him every day. We would get together at eight thirty in the morning and talk about the car business. And 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 
you know, oftentimes it was about life, you know. And so my dad dies. I'm, I was at that time, my wife and I owned 24% of the stock of the corporation. So we were owners and I was the heir apparent. It was all set up, all legalized that I would be the, 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 the guy that would run it. So my dad dies. And I often say, Aaron, if I knew half as much as I thought I knew when my dad died, I would have been pretty darn smart. The fact is I really didn't know what I was doing, but I was arrogant. And so it's one thing to not know. That's one thing. That's a, that's a bad idea. It's another thing to not know, but think you know. That's called arrogance, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want any help. I didn't want any advice. I didn't want any, any assistance. All kind of people reached out to me because my dad was a, was a well-thought-of uh, man in the automobile business, and I just didn't want any of that. I just, I got this, I got this, I got this. So two years later, uh, I end up bankruptcy imminent. I get a phone call from my sister on, an, on a Sunday evening that tomorrow morning when we open up the dealership, the bank account's going to be a negative, negative $55,000. Checks are going to bounce, bounce, excuse me. And, uh, you know, so it was a devastating thing, uh, very devastating, very depressing, very sad. I mean, this is my dad's business. He runs it for 22 years. I'm running for two years. We're in big trouble. So needless to say, I didn't sleep that night. I got up the next morning, first thing, headed for the bank. I believe you need to confront your problems head on. Headed for the bank. And um, and I told El Lazar was my, uh, my, uh, my uh, connection. Uh, he met me at the steps. They weren't even open yet. I was there before they opened, much the same as you and I just talked about. And um, so I'm there early, and uh, this is a big deal, big problem. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I shouldn't say depressed. That's a clinical thing. But I was very sad, very upset. Probably anxious. There's probably like an anxious. Yeah, anxiety. I really felt, in my mind at least, and, and I felt that these were my dad's checks. And like, how could I do this? How could I let my dad down like this? Like, I yeah. felt that they were his checks and his name was on the check because it was Jim Shorkey. I'm Jim Shorkey Jr. So it was always Jim Shorkey, Jim Shorkey Jr. My son's Jim Shorkey III. So so anyways, so so um, I um, Al Lazar assured me that these checks would not bounce, which was like, oh, thank you so much. I borrowed $100,000 to um, get the business floating again. And uh, I had to get to work. And so now it was time to get to work. And I realized just how stupid I had been. I mean, really stupid. I'm not afraid to say it. It's not self-deprecating. It's a fact. I was just dumb. And so at the time, I was reading this, this book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, written in 1937 at the height of the Great Depression. And it was a book about how to get rich. Because if you if you think about it, uh, the, the Great Depression, people didn't have money. And so he wrote this book, Napoleon Hill did, for, for to, to give people the opportunity or the guidance, I should say, to make money, right? So so I have this book, I'm reading it, but I'm not really executing it. And I think a lot of us do that. Like, we'll get a book, we'll read it, but like, okay, let's go read another book. Wait, wait, let's do the first one first, right? So I wasn't executing it. So I, executing it. So I decided at that time, I had a, 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 Napoleon Hill was long dead, but I had a conversation with Napoleon Hill on a spiritual basis. And I said, Napoleon Hill, if you get me out of this mess, and it was a big mess, I will do exactly what you tell me to do. I will dot the I's, cross the D's. I will do exactly what you tell me to do. And number one, number two, I will never be arrogant again, ever, 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 ever. And so that became my uh, my credo. That became my call to arms, call, call to action. So I got I, I got the book. I, I got a pen. I got a highlighter. I started dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And one of the things that comes, if if you've read the book, one of the things that comes out very very paramount in the book is seek expert counsel. Find somebody who's smarter than you and have a conversation. Find somebody who's done what you want to do and, 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 and have a conversation. They've done it successfully, I should say. Uh, find somebody who has done it successfully and then have a conversation. And so, and, and along those lines, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. 
You need to get out of that room. You need to get in the room. The best room for you to be in is the room where you're the dumbest guy in the room, the dumbest girl in the room, right? So that would that was the advice I took from that was the credo, right? And that's kind of a, par- a paradox where I think it's, I don't know if it's Yogi Bear or someone has the lines like, I don't want to be a part of any club that would let me in, which is the, sub, the subtext of that is I'm trying to reach those most exclusive rooms, not because it's a prestige thing. That, that's the error is like thinking it's an ego prestige. Look at how no, cool I am no. for being here. It's because the folks that really kind of cloister together that have these secrets. It's not necessarily that they want the secrets, but they can be, you know, completely torn apart if they were just to fillet themselves open to the public. And if you can find your way into those spaces, you're going to get access to the wisdom that's hard earned. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And and so it's, that's an interesting thought in and of itself is that the people that are in those rooms, they're so gracious and they're so willing to help. You know, they want to help. They want to pass this information on. They want this to be their legacy as well, just like I do. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And so, uh, but anyways, it was Seek Expert Council, right? So that was the message. And so I, I went and did that. I, I went to Mr. Hamilton, who was my dad's former partner. And I went in. Now, now think about it. Two years ago, I'm Mr. Arrogant. Now it's like, man, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I got my tail between my legs. I got, I got my hat in my hand, right? And I went in, Mr. Hamilton. I said, hey, Mr. Hamilton, uh, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I, I would like to get a list from you of the top 10 things I should be doing to be a successful automobile dealer. And he called me James. Everybody called me James. The seniors call me James. The younger people call me, call me Jimmy. My friends, I should say, call me Jimmy. But I was James to him. He said, James, let me think about that. Come back tomorrow morning. I'll have a list for you. So I go back the next morning, and he has this really cool typed-up list. I wish I had. I'd like to show it to you. Yeah. I, 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 whatever I did with it. But usually I keep stuff like that. But anyways, I, can't, I come back the next morning. He hands me the list, and I start to do this list. Right? And he was also in the car dealership business? Oh, yeah. Mr. Hamilton was a very, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, I, I assume people know that. Mr. Hamilton was a very successful automobile dealer, brought my dad into the car business, was my dad's partner at, at one time, and um, he, yeah, he had the boats, he had the cars, he had the, he had the houses, everything I wanted, I wanted to be was, was him in terms of the, the, the financial aspect of things and the material aspect of things. He just did. And so, so I go to him, he get, and so next I get the list, he gives me the list, and I, and I, um, I start to execute the list. It's all I did. I said, here's this list, these 10 things. And so if you can understand this analogy or this figuratively speaking, so here, this is me. This is my, this is my needle and it's flat, man. There's, bare, there's not a pulse, right? So I start doing a list and I could see this thing start to bump, man. I could see it. Like I start doing the list and I'm doing it, doing it, and the needle's moving. I'm, I'm starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train coming the other way. And it's like, this is, this is cool. So I go back for more ideas. Mr. Hamilton, again, very great. This is all free, by the way. Very gracious. Gave me more ideas. Then I reached out to Chrysler Financial, who was the financial arm of Jeep at the time, Jimmy Lawn, and uh, they come in and, and they just, they, they were so gracious and so nice. And they, they gave me a, a, another great idea, which I, we don't have time to get into that, but it was a really, really great approach to this thing, right? And then I reached out to GMAC, uh, uh, Jim Kucharski. Also, these, were, by the way, were very good friends of my father's, and I think that's part of it, right? right. And so I go to Jim Kucharski, and he, he sends me this, um, and you wouldn't even notice because you're too young, but uh, they were VHS tapes, okay? These things were about this big, right? And you put them in, and it was it was a videotape, right? It was a, a how to be a, how to run a car dealership, and there were four modules and, uh, and workbooks, and so I got those things, and I wore them out. I just kept watching and watching and watching them. And I joined think tanks, smartest guy in the room, 
wrong room. So I went in these think tanks where these people were very successful and, and I got involved and I went to training programs. So I'm talking to a CPA and in this training program and I, I, I joined um, different think tanks. I reached out to Al Lazar, my, my banker. Hey, what, what should I be doing, Alan? Just kept doing that, right? And so over time, I, I developed this this list and this list and this list and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and I just kept executing lists. That's all I did was execute these lists. And um, and so it went from bankruptcy imminent, you know, like you said, 800 um, cars per year, and it might have been 1,000. It was in that range, right? 800, 1,000. Uh, and, and it was, in fact, 40 employees, and it was one dealership. It was courtesy Oldsmobile Jeep. Well, from there, let's forget about 2019, because I left in 2016, but today, following these same principles, which my children do. So my wife and I um, turned the business over to the children back in, 19, I'm sorry, 2016. Um, it was a part of our estate plan, so we're out. We are not owners. We, we do have own nothing with respect to the car dealerships other than real estate, okay? So we're out. My children, four children, Katie, uh, Jim Third, Russell James, and Daniel James, they own the dealership 100% free free and clear of us. So we make no decisions. We're not involved. Every once in a while, they ask our advice and, and very quickly ignore it, you know, like <laughs> it's stupid. Anyways, so, so today... That dealership group is 17 dealerships. They have a group in Georgia. They have a, dealership, a group of five dealerships in Georgia. They have a dealership in um, a pretty sizable dealership in Boardman, Ohio. And then there's um, they just bought a Toyota dealership in the North Hills. Uh, so they have a Toyota North Hills, Mitsubishi, Kia, and Chrysler Dodge Jeep, Jeep Ranch Truck in the North Hills. Two Chevrolet dealerships. Uh, and um, so it's like 17, 16, 17 dealerships, depending on how they do the math. Uh, it has... Um, uh, north of 1,100 employees, and wow. it sells 25,000 cars per year north of that. And so that's the power of what we're talking about today. Were there, going back to the, the kind of two-year stretch where the business that your dad had built, your first two years holding the reins before you had the mentors as you were heading towards bankruptcy a minute, are, are there just simple unforced errors that were so clear in hindsight, but that you were making, whether it was, you know, really overspending in a certain yeah, area yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. focusing on the wrong thing. Can you just articulate maybe yeah, like absolutely. what some of those yeah, things yeah, that yeah. needed to be clarified? So remember my dad died. Okay. And, um, it was my father worshiped the ground he walked on, but at the same time, I'm Jim Shorkey Jr. I'm going to make this bigger than it had ever been before, right? So I wanted to make it bigger, right? Sell more cars, make more money, everything big, 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 big. And so that's the mistake, okay? So, so when you're running a business, the, um, the most important thing that we have to pay attention to as business owners is our cash position, right? And so when you make this business bigger, it takes more cash to run it. In the meantime, unbeknownst to me, because I didn't understand it, we're bleeding cash, right? And so as I got into it, as I got into the accounting of it, and when I realized that I was bankruptcy imminent, I'm talking to a CPA, and I said, I showed him my numbers. I was in a training seminar, actually. And I, and I, 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 I uh, well, this is, this is a long answer, a short question. No, so, so, so I did it. They had us do in this training seminar, it was a CPA-driven thing, and they had us do what's called a Z-factor. And the Z-factor is, is seven different um, uh, ratios on your financial statement. Your, so your financial statement cons consists of your balance sheet and your income statement, right? So you take these two statements and you put these ratios together, and there's seven of them, and it, come, it, it, it comes into what, what is called a Z-factor. And I don't remember what the ratios are. It was like debt to income and you know your, your, your assets and just different stuff like that. So there's 
seven of them. So they said, okay, we, we want you to do your Z factor. And the Z factor is a measurement of your, of your, the strength of your business, right? So I go through the calculation and it turns out, uh, this is where I got this idea about bankruptcy. And it turns out, it says I'm bankruptcy imminent. I'm like, what the crap? I must have done something wrong. I'm a math guy, right? Yeah. Go through, pay attention, erase, do everything. Bankruptcy imminent. I'm like, what the heck is this? So I'm like really upset. I'm sad. I, I, I'm disappointed. All that. I go to, I only told everybody else left the room because this is embarrassing, right? Yeah. Bankruptcy You're not going like, to raise your hand yeah, and be hey, like, by the way, I'm bankruptcy imminent over here. Like, yeah. no. So I wait until the very end. I go up. I got tears in my eyes. I said, hey, this is my number. Yeah. And he said, uh, I said, this isn't going to happen. This isn't happening. This is, this is not going to happen. I guarantee this isn't going to happen. What should I do? He said, you got to get small. And there's your answer. Yeah. He said, you got to get small. I'm like, what are you talking about? You got to cut everything. You got to cut the paper clips. If you have an employee that, that is not necessary, you got to move them out. You got to cut everything you can, advertising, whatever it is. You got to get yourself so small that your break even point which is an important number, is low enough that you can now sell a reasonable number number of cars and make money and start building your cash position right. position back up. Plus, if you're liquidating assets that you don't necessarily need, you're also putting cash in a bank. So that's what I did. That was what I did. So it was all kind of happened at the same time, like the bankruptcy imminent and the negative $55,000 in the bank. This all came to a head at the same time. And so, um, but but. But th that would be your, the answer to your question would be, what did I do? Arrogant, know-it-all, let's make this big. What did I find out after getting my butt kicked royally? Lose the arrogance and get small and yeah. get into expense management and cash management and all these different things that I just wasn't doing at all. And what's so interesting, we've, we've been on a, a roll here on recent interviews of different businesses that you know, through 2020, which was hard on so many businesses, yeah. unless you're like Zoom or, you know, Peloton or a couple right, of those right, companies right, right. there, which is so hard on so many is the ones that had been in some way, shape or form kicked in the teeth before yeah. actually were able to negotiate. Like, you know, JD Ewing or A-Line or some of these companies would say like, we didn't lay off a single person yeah. because we had had that at some point come to Jesus moment and said, man, we really need to have a, a tight handle on our balance sheet and a conservative, you know, thing in yeah. the back. With our company, we talk about our first year, nowhere, uh, not quite the same, but we had $27,000 worth of uh, invoices past due from our existing clients yeah, not good. and not enough money for payroll. Not and good. I, I can remember a, a similar sentiment of staring at those numbers and being like, man, I don't, I don't really know what we're going to do here. And you know, then I was talking to people, it's like, here's how you actually write your sales agreement terms. Here's how you send your invoices. Here's how you get the capital yeah. in place. Yeah. And once again, it's like, you, you know, you can't, you cannot persist through an experience like that with the, the fully inflated ego in check, unless you're maybe a sociopath. I don't know. That would be really the only way to, yeah. <laughs> to navigate it. My favorite word in that regard is pivot, P-I-V-O-T. And so I'm not, I don't, I don't care what the external circumstances are. I don't, I don't care. COVID-19 um, was all it was, was a call to, call to action, a call to arms of, uh, I had to pivot. I had to execute a pivot. And I executed, my pivot was a personal pivot in terms of, okay, I looked at it and I thought, okay, this, this is here, this is common, this is getting worse and started analyzing. I thought, okay, well, my pivot was, what can I do to improve my, my health specifically concentrating on immunity. And I figured, yeah. okay, if I can get my immune system to be really, really strong, then I'm going to get COVID and it's going to be no big deal, right? Well, as it turns out, I was right, right? As it turns out, uh, COVID-19 really is no big deal for the vast majority of the pop population. And in, in, in other words, like well over 90% of the people got COVID, they were sick, they recovered, and, and they moved on. Me, personally, I did get COVID, 
And it was like no big deal. And I'm, I'm not speaking with medical advice here, okay? I'm speaking anecdotally, but for me, it was no big deal. Now, what was I doing before that? I was doing the intermittent fasting. I was doing the oolong tea. I was doing the physical movement. I was doing, the, I, was, I was working on my sleep very aggressively. And I was working on stress reduction and meditating and, you know, different things. Infrared sauna and cold plunging and floating and all these different things. And I just got these ideas and I kept working. Ideas, seek expert counsel, right? Ideas, 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 list, 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 list. And so I, I went to work on that. And, but, but in the meantime, with that pivot, I'm getting healthier regardless of COVID-19. So if I was in business with COVID-19, I would have executed a pivot. Okay, COVID-19 is here. It's reality. For us to say it's not, that's craziness. But at the same time, what can we do to take advantage of this situation in terms of running our business in a more efficient manner. So that's what my, my children did. And they actually developed a very, very serious, comprehensive online approach to selling cars. They weren't even able to open, and then they were, and they, but they had this online. So they were working the deals online, everything online, pictures and discussions. People would come in, cars out front, cleaned up, ready to go, basically they have an agreement. And they just have to drive the car. So they come in, drive yeah. the car, and the paperwork's all done. And, and it actually ended up being a very efficient method for selling cars. So they're doing that, and they're selling cars, like, really, really well, because they were prepared. In the meantime, the old method of kicking tires and driving cars and going into showroom, that came back. Yeah. That came back. So now they have two approaches to the to the business. So because of COVID, and this I don't believe me, I don't make fun of COVID. I'm not here. I know people died and people got very sick and people are still very sick. So I'm not making fun of that and I'm not making light of it, but it was out of my control. Right. As a business owner, it's out of my control. And it serves no purpose for me to get all caught up in all the politics and the dogma and all that about how to deal with COVID. I can only deal with it on a personal and a corporate basis with our little company, which admittedly is a big company, but in the, in, the, in the realm of the big world, it's a very small company. You know, 1,100 employees is no big deal. It's probably at best a mid-sized company relative to the world. Anyways, so we get to control how we handle the situation, and that is our choice, and that's what they did, and that's what I did, and you know, that's what we did during the Great Recession when President Obama was in office, and we executed a pivot, and it was like, Holy cow, we did better during the great... This is where we learned this, by the way. You're talking about adversity. Yeah. So the Great Recession, it was the worst depression, let's call it, since the Great Depression. So it was really bad. There were 16 million new cars sold before the Great Recession. The year uh, 2008 was 10 million. So 6 million people went away. Wow. And I said to my people, I said, listen, guys and girls, I said... Uh, I'm not going to talk about the six million that went away. I'm going to talk about the ten million that out there that want to buy cars this year. And we're going to go get them, and we're yeah. going to get, get up. We're going to get our fair share plus. So we're going to take some of yours. And we're going to take some of Hannah's, and we're going to take we're going to take market. And so we came up with that idea. And um, while everybody else was cutting, 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 we were spending, spending, spending. And I, I felt that if I could go through the Great Recession and lose money. As long as it was, I had enough money that I could lose, I would be okay. Prefer not to, prefer to break even, prefer to make a few bucks. But I came up with this idea. The pivot was, listen to this, was called the prosperity plan. And it initially was the depression plan, the recession plan. And I changed it. I said, the prosperity plan. Let's prosper during this time. So we upped our training. We upped our advertising. We upped our customer service. We, everything we upped, 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 upped. And um, we ended up making more money in 2008 
than ever in the history of the Jim Shorkey Family Auto Group. And we actually um, repeated that in 2009. It was unbelievable. Uh, because what happens if you if you understand the competitive field? So if you have a if you have if you have a hundred people that you're competing with, just to pick a number, and uh, this obstacle, COVID nineteen, Great Recession, whatever it is that comes up, it's an out external situation comes up. Ninety five percent of the people just give up and they go home. That's exactly what happened during COVID. Yep. Just a lot of a lot of giving up, right? Whereas we didn't give up. And so when you don't give up, if 95% give up, guess what? Your competitive field is now down to five people. Where it was 100, five people. And so you can make a very, very successful business during a very, very tumultuous external environment. And that's what happened to the people that really did the pivots, the restaurants and the different businesses, they kicked butt. And, and that's, you know, throughout economic history, the Great Depression, exactly. there's other instances, it's common to refer to the downturns or the collapses or the, the financial crises as when fortunes are made. Yes. Because if you're prepared, like you couldn't have spent and been comfortable with loss if you hadn't been shoring up the balance sheet no, and, no, no. and running a, a tight financial ship in the years ahead. So you have a clear handle. It's like, you're not just jumping into the void. You're going in with a specific plan and awareness of what is able to be deployed in a responsible way to this growth opportunity and, you know, seizing that opportunity when everyone else has been, you know, kicked in the gut or knocked out or yep. knocked out of the field is, is where, you know, really special growth occurs. Yeah. The people that, that really, su- the business people that suffer during the great, uh, or during the COVID, excuse me, or, or the great recession, we can pick whichever one you want, that where they made a mistake. So a, a fundamental rule of accounting is that you should have a minimum minimum of six months uh, working capital yep. supply, minimum, preferably a year. And so, so when I had, when I, when I was bankrupt imminent, guess what my day supply of working capital was? Zero. Yeah. It was a negative, <laughs> right? It was yeah. zero. And so, so what happened was because I now understood that, I learned, you know, what you don't know will hurt you, by the way, whoever gave that, what you don't know won't hurt you is Bull crap advice. Don't pay yeah. attention to that. What you don't know will hurt you. And so what I learned from bankruptcy imminent and been moving forward with Mr. Hamilton, cash is king, cash is king, cash is king. And you have to have this supply, this supply of working capital. And so six months will be bare minimum. And what does that mean? So if you're spending, just to pick a number, hundred grand a month on your expenses, on your on your op- on your operating report, hundred thousand dollars a month it means you need you need to have five hundred thousand dollars of unencumbered cash in the bank, minimum. So that if you're business goes south, you have the money to sustain. So you didn't have the money. That's it. Yeah. You have, you have, and what you needed to do, the prudent financial advice would get, go grab those people by the throat and get your darn money, right? <laughs> exactly. Because right? yeah. that's got to go to paying your people. Yep. So anyways, you didn't have the money to pay your people. Very, very, and I was same, I'm with you, same place. So, but the prudent would be, uh, would be 12 months, right? And so, so, I don't want to sound braggadocious, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but I was prepared at the onset of the Great Recession, in, it, uh, this is 2008, to lose a million bucks. I was pre- prepared for that. And I told my people that. And I said, I'd rather lose 500000 And I told them that. And I said, but preferably, and I actually have it written in the document, the recession, that I'd, but I'd really like to lose a hundred grand. Like, that would be great, right? This is my thinking, right? It sounds kind of weird, right? I'm going to lose a hundred grand. Like, what? Yeah. But we went on because we had the right idea in mind. It was a 24-point plan, much like the list that you and I had talked about earlier. It was a list of this is what we're going to do. And um, 
you know, for example, customer service, we're going to be customer service champs. If you don't like that, you need to go. You're not going to be part of this, right? So we're going to take care of our customers. We're going to um, we're going to we're going to make it a great environment for them. It wasn't going to be a depressing recession environment. So we had we made chocolate chip cookies and we made popcorn and we put balloons in the showroom every day. And we had pump up music in the showroom. So when people came in, they would see this 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 environment that was like really really positive yeah. and our people we had pump up meetings every day and get them pumped up right and then we had uh, we did training we upped our training so we okay if, if we're not gonna have any customers let's just train like heck and my vision was when we come out of this thing i want to be way better than i was going in so it was my vision so training and i felt, felt if i kept my advertising going and even upped it that i would be such a present in the market that when the thing did shift that I would be um, in a a position to take advantage of it. I upped my inventory levels, right? Everything was aggressive. And so uh, it turns out that, that I was right, Okay. Turns out that I was right, and so so we're doing all this stuff, and we're making, and and what happened was with this great recession was um, the advertising because everybody bailed, most people bailed. I could get advertising for a, a, where it was a dollar. Yeah. I'm getting it for fifty cents. Yeah. So my 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 the bank for my buck was double. We had the, the factory. They couldn't they couldn't move cars right because nobody was because a million people are uh, I'm sorry six million people went away. So there were deals on cars. So I got these deals on cars. Like hey guys, I got these deals. Come see us. So I'm up in the advertising. I got the deals. I got the people trained. I got the the environment when they came in. And so long story short, we're running our business. We couldn't get all the people. We couldn't answer the phone fast enough. I remember one time I was sitting in a sales meeting and they said, and we would pay sales calls. So we're in a sales meeting. If there was a sales call, salesman left the meeting, right? And I, we had this thing going on a, on a, on a, on a car and it's in it, in it, um, and the message or the 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 receptionist, excuse me, said sales call lines one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. I'm like, what the heck? Couldn't get to the calls, couldn't get to all the customers. We actually brought my wife in and my sister in to to talk to customers. Yeah. Get this, this is the Great Recession. Yeah. And um we had a couple people that were sh- were washing cars. We brought them up just to talk to customers. One of them, Dan Garber, is still working at the dealership selling cars. That's a mini pivot, right? Yeah, he Here sees he is. the opportunity He's washing too. cars. He came in, and now he's selling cars, and he's got a nice career, all because of the Great Recession. Do you see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. So the Great Recession was an opportunity. It was, it yeah. was an opportunity, because everybody else gives up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and the thing that is apparent from the first time I spoke with you to the entirety of this conversation is having the right, you want to call it frame of mind, mental model, collection of, of you know, practical, um, you know, strategies for dealing with any problem that you may face, be it your health, be it your uh, business, be it your personal life is like this through line that you're hyper committed to. So I want to kind of fast forward back up to when, uh, as part of your and your wife's estate planning, you passed the business off to your children. Children. Take me into a little bit of the thought process there, and then we can transition into okay. uh, rethink you and what you're doing now. So I had this vision. Again, it's all about the vision, goals, right? I had this vision. I, I knew that it was um, that it was me, right? And it was. I mean, I'm running the deal. I'm the guy. But my children, uh, I, I told my children very clearly. I said, guys, don't talk to me about don't talk to me about the car business because I love the car business. I'm going to talk you into it. So if you don't want to talk about it, let's not talk about it. 
I said, but if you're going to get involved in the car business, I don't want to be your second choice. I won't permit that. I'm not going to be your second choice. I want to be your first choice. And if you don't like it, then you'd go do something else. And they knew that they very clearly understood that that was just my, I'm, I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the, I'm the dictator. I'm not going to have, I don't want you to go out someplace, place else and fail and then say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out with dad. No. That's not a formula for success. So if you're going to be in this business, I want to be your first shot. And so they they all did that. They all did that. And they got involved and they loved it because we were running this great organization. So Katie got involved and Jimmy got involved and Russell, my son, got involved. And my son, Daniel, got involved. He's the youngest of them. And um, so they're all involved and they're, they love it. I check with them like consistently, even now. How do, you, how do you like what you're doing, man? Oh, God. I love it. I just love it. My son, Russell, he's the math guy. He's the CPA guy, which, you know, remember Good what I said about the number? Oh, man, <laughs> the most important position in the, in the place. Jim, my, my son, Jimmy, he's the salesman. You know, so you, you'll be sitting right now and say, I just bought five cars. What happened? You know, he's like, he's the salesman. And then Katie, uh, actually Katie's husband, Matt, who's like a son to me, he's the guy. Katie's involved. Katie's a full-time mom. She is involved, but not to the degree that she was at one time. But they're just very passionate about the business. Daniel is a, a general sales manager at the Kia dealership in Wexford. Does a great job. Everything I hear about him is that he works harder than anybody else in the organization. And I love that. I mean, he's a hardworking uh, guy. So, so anyway, so I had this vision that I've got these four children involved in the business. Daniel was very young at the time. So I said, I said, guys, I'm going to get, I'm going to get uh, three dealerships, right? That was my goal. Think about goals, right? Three dealerships. Cause I wanted to have one for Katie, one for uh, Jim, the third and one for Russell. And I said, now you guys are going to get the dealership for, for Daniel. I'm not going to do that. Right. So, and I, what my, my vision was that there'd be four dealerships. Uh, Katie would own one 51%. Cause one of the things accounting um, prudent, prudent, prudent accounting is you have to own the company. If you're involved in a part, Partnership 50-50, bad idea in general. Just a bad idea. You want to control the company. So it's got to be 51-49. That was what I was taught. That's how, that's how I was trained. 51-49. So my vision was Katie 51, Jimmy 51, Russell and Daniel. They would all have this dealership and they would own 51. And the other three children would own the 49% uh, split three ways. So they would own 16 and um, whatever it comes, 16 and a third, I believe it is. So they would, have, they would own that. And so now it's coming to, we're doing this thing and I'm, I'm working on my estate plan, Amy and I are, I should say. And so I'm with my, and we have the whole family in the room, which those of you who are working on estate planning, it's, it's important to have everybody in the room, right? So I got them all in the room and my, my, uh, my, my attorney, uh, we're talking about what we want to do. And I'm, I'm telling, this is my vision. Yeah. And the kids said, um, we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to split it up like that. I'm like, well, what do you guys want to do? So we we want it we want it to be, you know, everybody owns a share of the total thing. N nobody's in control. We'll work that out as as a family. And one of my creators, by the way, was that uh, we got to be able to do Thanksgiving dinner. If we can't do Thanksgiving dinner, I'm out. We're we're, we're selling this thing. I'm not going to do that. If we if we break up the family. This isn't, this isn't not going to happen on my view. It, it would kill me. It yeah. would kill my wife, which would kill me. So the family has to stay together. So that was the basic credo of the thing. But anyway, so they said, well, we don't want to do that. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And they wanted to just have this big master company and split it up 25, 25, 25, 25, which I was not in agreement with. But I said, hey, guys, listen, this is your deal. And so we're literally having this conversation like we are right now. And they said, okay. Well, let's do it. Uh, make a decision, right? It's right in thinking we're rich, right? Okay, let's do it. So in the meantime, Steve, Steve um, Seal, who is my attorney, comes up to me 
and says, well, there's this deal right now. That's a, that's a leftover. This is 2000, probably 15, leftover from the, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was 2013, when it's, I think. But this is leftover from the, the Bush administration, and, and it expires at the end of this year. I think it was 13, but don't hold me to that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So, so they said, well, he said, well, you can give your entire estate away up to this amount, which was a pretty big number, yeah. um, stay tax-free. I'm like, tell me more. And it goes on into perpetuity. So what I gave to the children, what my Amy and I gave the children, excuse me, was there would be no estate tax. And the estate tax is brutal. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's basically once you get beyond a certain number, it's 50%. Like, holy cow, it's like, it's rough. Yeah. Put, put you out of business. And, but on to perpetuity means that they can also pass it on to the next generation, oh, estate wow. tax-free. So I left this part out, but it, so remember I said three, three dealerships, right? Well, at that time I had six. So that's the interesting thing about goals. People think, well, the goal, that you can go beyond the goal. And you will if you run this thing the right way. You'll go beyond yeah. the goal. It's not, it's not like the goal. The goal was just a. The goal was just like that board there, right? So that's the goal. And 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 Jim Rohn said it's not. It's not the goal. The goal's not the key. Key is what you become in pursuit of the goal. And oftentimes when you're doing things the right way, like the science of getting rich, you actually will get to a point where it's time to get the goal. And it's like I don't even want that goal anymore. Yeah. I want this, but you have the financial wherewithal to do it. Does that make sense? Our mutual friend Sarah Macon oh, yeah, yeah. talks about there is no limit. So you can set the goal, but you're almost like putting a limit if the goal is just here mm-hmm. and there's extra space above that. Yeah, don't forget. And that's why I'm not a big believer in setting big goals. I'm not. I know that's going to sound, sound very foreign to a lot of people, but yeah. big goals are, daunt- are daunting. Like, like you want to be deflating if they deflating. see you. Yeah, you want to run a marathon, right? So, and you look like a runner. So, let's say you want to run a marathon. I said, well, tell me more. And you say, well, I've never run before. I said, well, then forget about a marathon. So, let's start running. How about a 5K? Let's run a 5K, <laughs> yeah. And run the 5K. Yeah. Or, 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 or walk the 5K. You've never run. Maybe you can't run. Maybe it's just like not going to work. But let's start with walking the 5k and at that at, even at that like let's start with walk how far are you walking now i don't walk at all well let's start with walking a half a mile then and and let's do the 5k and then we'll go to another goal and then we'll go to another goal and using the same formula we'll get to the marathon if we want but by the time we get to the half marathon we may say you know what i'm good i like my half marathon but i can take this knowledge now that i learned about how to get to the 5k the 10k the half marathon and i can apply it to my love it's the same formula. The formula never changes. It's the same formula. Start with a reasonable goal, right? You have to have a reason why that makes you cry, okay? And then seek expert counsel to figure out what the steps are to get to the goal, and then start to execute those steps. And as Jim Rohn said, it's not the goal. It's what you become along the way. So because you achieved the goal of the 10K, right? You got that done. Well, now you're a goal-achieving pro. And so you can take that same knowledge and apply it to something else. And that's what I did. That's the essence of what I did. So back to the thing. So, so it, was, it was six dealerships at the time. We did, it, we did the deal. It's done. We're out. And then the children, I mean, I'm out at six, right? Yeah. And like I said, now you heard the number, 17. It's not just 17. They've expanded into other businesses. They've actually, since I left, because of those principles in that book right there, it's 10x what it was when I left. 10x. Wow. 10X. You got to be so proud. I am so proud. I have no, I have, I'm telling you, I don't even have, like people say to me, well, do you ever want to go back? No, I don't. I'm good. I'm 65. I work my butt off. I'm good. I don't want to go back. Um, am I envious? Am I jealous? Not even a shred. It's a hundred percent. Let's go get him kids. I'm so proud. He makes me cry. Yeah. Um, no, nah, the b- biggest legacy I can leave is that 
this business, I, I, my vision is that the business is there for the great grandchildren, yeah. and, and, and I'm here as well. So yeah, that. we'll talk about that. Well, that's a now I have a, a bodacious goal with respect to aging, which you probably know because you've read my stuff. So let's let's double click though on the why that makes you cry because you you drop that in there, but that's that's yeah. a pretty powerful concept. Very powerful. That most people aren't necessarily tapping into. Well, there's two whys. There's the why and the why not, right? So I always want to analyze things from the perspective of what do I want, what do I not want. An example in business like bankruptcy imminent, like I don't want that. So I don't run from that. I want to keep that right in front of me, bankruptcy imminent, tears, sad. Like, I don't want to ever forget that because that is very motivational for me. I think that in my world, I think that what I don't want is more motivating than what I do want. But it doesn't really matter because it's all, it, it's all subjective. But the fact is what I don't want, I'm going to run away from. And I have very strong things in my body called fight or flight, which, which I can engage and to get away from that, right? And what I do want... Uh, is also very clear, and I'm going to run towards this. I'm going to run away from what I don't want, run towards what I do want. And if I do both, I'm going to get there twice as fast because I got this thing over here, which is a lion, and I got this thing over here, which is my wife, and I want to run towards her and get away from this lion, which is going to eat me, and then there's no more wife, right? And so I want to run from the lion, run towards my wife, or I want to run from the bankruptcy minute, run towards success. I want to run from illness. I have, I have illness, right? Towards health, right? So run from the illness, run towards, towards health. I do both. So so what I do when, I, when I'm setting my goals up, my reason why has to make me cry. And I mean it sincerely. So I ask myself seven times at least, why? 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 Why does that matter? Why is that important? Why do I care about that? Why is that a big deal? But I also ask the why not. Like So so my, my long-term goal, 122, healthy, happy, terrific, relaxed years. When I am 80 years old in the United States of America, do you realize that there's a 50% chance that Jim Shorkey will have Alzheimer's disease? It's not Jim Shorkey. It's not genetic. It's not the family. That's just the number. That's what it is. Okay. Look it up. Wow. 50%. So I studied all, I study, excuse me, Alzheimer's. What can I do to prevent, delay, mitigate it? So if I can prevent it, that means I don't get it at all. If I can delay it, rather get it at 90 than 80. And if, uh, if I can mitigate it, that means I'm not going to have it as bad as maybe somebody else would have it. So yeah prevent, delay, mitigate. And so there's turns out there's certain things that I need to do to not get Alzheimer's. So just think about that. There's things I need to do to not get Alzheimer's, but there's also things I need to stop doing. Okay. And this is really essential. So what's on my stop list? What's on my go list? Same with the business. I needed to stop being arrogant. I needed to stop wasting money. I need to stop a lot of stuff. And I needed to get that list from Mr. Hamilton, which was my goal list, right? So I did both. So it's a stop list, it's a goal list, right? And so, um, but, but, but back to the goal, if, if I don't have reasons why that make me cry for the goal and reasons why not that make me cry, okay, then things are going to show up. They're going to derail me. And if my reasons why aren't strong enough, we get derailed, right? So, so COVID-19 comes to mind again. So I have these reasons why I want to be healthy. And so one of my visions is, uh, at that time I was 64, and I, I, I thought about this. We call this at Rethink You uh, 2.0, we call this thinking it through the whole way through. I'm a thinker. I'm a critical thinker, right? And so I have this vision of I'm 64, I'm 94 years old. A very clear crystal vision. And so that's 30 years from now, right? So you and I are going to be sitting on the front porch, of my house, right? And it's a beautiful view. We're going to be sitting there. We're going to be talking about this stuff, right? 30 years from now, right? You got to be here, by the way. You got to take care of your it's my game plan. oolong tea. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you got to think about this, right? I mean, are you going to be there when your great grandchild is married? You're going to be here? Something to think about, right? Because you keep be doing hard. the stupid crap, you're not going to be here. Yeah. You'll be, my dad's dead at 63. Didn't, didn't see one of his um, 
one of his his great grandchildren, not one, and missed missed several of the grandchildren. I mean, it's just he died at sixty three. So uh, ninety four front porch. You and I are talking. Katie, my daughter, who's now going to be seventy, hard to believe. She'll be sitting there with us, along with my granddaughter. Lila, and this is just, not that Lila is, it, I have nine grandchildren, but Lila's sitting there, and so Lila is going to be 41, and, and I think about probability. You a probability kind of guy? Yeah, right? base rates, all that yeah. stuff. I think about probability, mathematics, all that. I think, okay, probability states that most likely she will have a child. Most likely, right? Probability right. states that. And if not her, I've got nine grandchildren, so I will probably have a great grandchild. Okay. Am I getting you to cry yet? I, I'm, I'm Am feeling I something. I'm not a huge crier, but I'm feeling yeah. something. Like, yeah. So, so now I'm 94. I'm on the front porch. You and I are sitting. We're good friends. We're sitting talking. Katie's there. She's joining the conversation. Um, Lila's with us. She's 41. And there's this baby who's three, four, five years old, whatever, six months old. But I get to experience that. Why? Because I drank the oolong tea. Why? Because my reason why at 94 makes me freaking cry. Because yeah. I want to be here. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, it, probability states. No, probability, right? Probability, probability states that at 94, I won't be here. That's what probability states. So you and I, we got to beat probability. Yeah. Right? How do we do that? The to-do list, the to-not-do list. And, and you got to do things that other people don't, right? So in every single case uh, of the story so far, to live to 95, you are an outlier. To build a business of the scale that you've built, you are an outlier. Correct. And you attribute books like The Science of Getting Rich um, and Think and Grow Rich and some of these other books as being highly influential to be able being able to get those outlier type of results. I guess my question is, so I've always been someone who I think a weak part of my game was the vision. I could come up with like the vision for what our company Piper was going to be in its kind of most nascent stages. And it was somewhat opaque. It was, it was certainly not the, the way that when Sarah says, you know, we are going to be a, a mental, uh, we're going to transform millions of people's mental health, make their lives better, make them happier. It's so simple and clear what that's going to be. You're, you're painting a picture. Maybe there was some complexity and texture to it, but you could actually really distill it down into this very simple idea. My, um, my gap has always been, I feel like I can usually get the actions day to day. I, I can get the tactical, like, here's how we tweak this little metric. This is how we, you know, optimize a little bit here. And the gap sometimes between, Hey, the vision is up here and I feel like I have a lot of the, the forward action, but I'm sure if the vision was more clear up here, up in the clouds, then down on the dirt, it would reveal 20% of the problem to me. Yes. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, so in the book, Thinking We're Rich, written in 1937, it's incredible, the book. It really is. And as I study other books today, still to this day, I read, I read probably on the average four to five books a month, right? And I read them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm reading. And if I had that book right there, uh, I would be, it would be underlined and highlighted and started like, wow, look at this. This is great. I'm yeah. reading a book right now called the bio, called the um, molecule of emotion. And I just finished reading a book called the biology of belief. And so that biology of belief, he said, Hey, you got to get this book. Like, oh, crap, I need another book. Like I need him. So I get this book, right? I got all these books. I got to stack this big. Yeah. The next book I'm going to read is about quantum, quantum physics. 
Now, imagine a car salesman reading a book about quantum physics. This is kind of goofy, You have a right? math degree. Come on. Give yourself a little credit. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> physics is like way, way, way beyond math. I mean, it's like, wow. But I'm going to read it, right? Yeah. And, so, and, and that's, by the way, going to tax my brain, which is very good for my brain as I age towards 94 outside in the front porch. But anyways, so in the book, Think Grow Rich, um, I'm going to tell you a couple things about that. In, in the chapter on desire, there's six steps. Okay, and these six steps are the essence of the book in, in reality. And the first step is you got to have a clear, concise idea of what you want. Clear and concise. He makes that very, 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 very crystal clear. You got to have that. If you don't have that, then you got to get it. Like you got to stop and you got to get that, right? So it's in the book. And it's interesting. Napoleon Hill tells you in the book, he says, now, here's an instruction, okay, that I guarantee you missed, okay, and therefore you're not a practitioner of the art of thinking we're rich. And so I don't mean to point fingers or be judgmental, but- No, I'm, I'm self-aware and I'm, I'm yeah, not the executor. And I, nobody does this. Virtually nobody does this. He tells you in the book, in the chapter on imagination, he says, now, and he says, read the book cover to cover before you put it down. Meaning just before you read another book. So you're not going to read it one day, but read the book cover to cover before you put it down three times. Okay? Three times before you do anything else as far as starting reading. Three times. Because then you're not going to want to stop. Okay? And so I'm reading the book and I'm not doing what the guy tells me to do. And then I start doing what the guy tells me to do. And that was one of the things he told me to do. So I'm like, I'm going to do that, right? And there's other things. He, there's, it's so involved, right? And I'm doing all these things. I'm dotting the I's, crossing these. Everything that Napoleon Hill told me to do, I did, right? And, 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 and along with the, the, Mr. Hamilton, one, and that needle's moving, 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 moving. And so uh, I'm going from bankruptcy. I'm going to at least now I got some, some breathing room, right? And, and I'm still not out of the woods yet, but I'm still, but I'm working at it, right? And so in that chapter on, on uh, imagination, he tells you to read it three times because then you're not going to want to stop. And I'm thinking, holy crap, I don't want to be the first guy that stops. Like, I don't want to, like, if I stop, maybe this whole thing comes crashing down. And so, um, it's almost like a superstition, like, you know, like, 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 you know, uh, you know, don't step on a crack, you break your mother's, that yeah. kind of a thing. It's like, so he says this, he's helped me, the needle's moving, it's like, I'm not going to stop. Did I tell you how many times I've read that book? Uh, I saw in in the book that it was like 113, but you're now up to 140 something. Yeah. 145. And it's like, and, 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 and it's interesting. See, see the hand that picks up this book, this book right here, The Science of Getting Rich. It's like, I look at it, I think, wow, I, I didn't know getting rich was a science. Turns out it is. And, and, and I didn't know getting healthy was a science. Turns out it is. I didn't know that getting unhealthy was a science. Turns out it is. But anyways, the science of getting rich, it's, it's, it's the, the secret. I, I always had this curiosity for the secret. The proven mental program in a, to a life of wealth, Wallace D. Wallace. And so some people are turned off by this title, just like thinking we're rich, because they think of rich in terms of, of money. And it is, it is money, but it also could be health. It also could be love, whatever you want it to be. But anyways, so, so the book... Uh, I lost my train of thought. This book is very intriguing to me. And so I read the book and, and, and where was I going with it? I had a thought. I lost you, my train of thought. I what think you were it? talking about the, the number of times that you've read it, the reinforcement of getting to a vision. Yeah. Like the, something's reinforced in terms of getting to a vision. Oh, oh I'm sorry. No. The, the hand that picks up this book yep. and reads it and does what the book tells you to do is not the same hand that puts it down. Biologically speaking... It's not the same hand. Chemically speaking, it's not the same hand. Epigenetically speaking, it's not the same hand. So it's a different hand. You change. So then you read it again, and guess what? You'll be reading this book, and you say, 
I've never read that before. What the heck's he saying here? I didn't, I didn't read that before. Holy crap, let me underline that, right? And then the hand that picks up the book's not the same hand that puts it on. So on the 145th reading, I changed. And so think about it. The guy that read that book on the 145th time versus the first time, it's not the same guy. I mean, and for obvious reasons, I'm 65 versus however, however old I was back then. But nevertheless, even in a day, in a month, the hand changes. It actually changes. It's a fact. And so, but, but even beyond the science of it um, is the idea that even mentally you change. So your mental perspective is, is different, but it's turning out that it's much deeper than that. So that's why I, I kept reading it. And I'm not reading it right now. I actually started to read it for 146, 146 time and I was on another project and this, this biology of belief and the quantum physics and stuff, it's really got me intrigued. And so I'm actually really digging into that stuff right now. Um, and I'm reading, <laughs> believe it or not, I read it, I just, I didn't finish it uh, because I got into this biology of belief, but I'm reading the, the, the diary of Anne Frank. And you say, well, man, that's not a motivational book. Why the heck would you read a book like that? Well, you know what? That was a nasty freaking thing. Yeah. And I think we need, need, to, need to tune into nastiness to say, okay, don't want that. Don't want that to ever happen again. That was awful, 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 awful. And the girl was brilliant, brilliant, 13 years old or 14. And her writing ability, incredible, brilliant, brilliant uh, young lady. And so um, I found that to be very intriguing, to say the least. But... Uh, you know, it, it, it teaches me an idea of what I don't want is really what I'm saying. And I think there is like this idea, like in a self-development field that we're in, you know, there is no line, there is no line, there is no line, cover up your eyes, cover up your ears. Well, there, yeah, there is a line and he's out there and you better deal with him because he's going to eat you. Yeah. And so I'm not a big believer in this. Uh, I'm, I really think a, a positive mental attitude is a really important idea, but let's not be delusional. Yeah. There so, are problems. <laughs> amen to that. So, um, when I have at times reflected on, on some of my goals over a longer period of time, one of my goals is uh, associated with being able to maintain a high degree of energy late into life. Because you see certain characters who, as they get into their later years, they just they slow down to a really significant degree. And I'm not, I'm not one to just deny the realities of biology, deny the realities of, of the, you know, the passage of time and how life is going to go. But for the time that I got, I want to maintain a very high degree of energy throughout what I do. And the two things that I've basically come to as, as being drivers of that are number one, really trying to be cognizant of my health. I also intermittent fast, um, and, and have, you know, some of the principles there. I'm sure you could teach me, uh, uh, thousands of things in that realm. And then also trying to orient yourself around work that is meaningful. Because if you just say at 63, 64, 65, all right, hmm. fishing and drinking by the beach for me for the next Not couple me. decades, me. Um, to me, that's deflating. For other people, that might get them jazzed up. But for me, that just that's not a particularly enticing uh, kind of chapter or outcome to potentially yeah. start. And so what's interesting to me is you've talked a little bit about the health side, but it also is interesting to me that, and I, I use this, this term in, in our, our kind of pre-interview uh, of someone who is post-economic. You, you, you no longer have this, you know, kind of specific need for a financial outcome, the house, the boat, the whatever, no. those type of things are, are not the question anymore. No. The fact that you would start a new project I read as partially being a means to give back, but also partially to kind of maintain your own creative energy and vigor. So can you talk a little bit about this chapter that you've started yeah, with Rethink yeah. and what the goal is and what you're aiming for? Well, let's be clear here. So, you know, 
I mean, it's really my, my vision is it's not about me. It can't be about me. It can't be about me. And um, I'll circle back on that, but it can't be about me. That can't be the vision. It can't be the mission. So what happened to me was uh, Mr. Hamilton happened to me, right? And he, he welcomed me with open arms. It makes me cry. And it was, it was free, right? And so he said, yeah, here's the list, right? And then Jimmy Long comes in, and they had a full-blown, they actually audited my books. It was a 30 some thousand dollars audit for free, and they did it twice. So we're going to do it today. We'll come back in a year. They gave me my list, and you're going to come back a year from now. We're going to come back a year from now. We're going to do it again, and we'll see how, what kind of progress you make. I guarantee you they thought there's no freaking way this guy's going to make it. <laughs> it's like, I'll show you. So... But anyway, so Jimmy Lawn and Jim Kotrarski, and, and I forgot about um, my good friend who actually passed, um, uh, my accountant, uh, Tom Eugen. And, um, and an inter- interesting story. I'll, I'll digress for a second. So I'm sitting in my house with Chuck Bellina, who was a big part of Rethink You. He died of, um, of uh, colon cancer at 51 uh, within the past couple years. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving on, um, on uh, in two, the year 2000. And he was just a really, really inspirational guy to me and really helpful in, in developing the genesis of this whole idea. And I actually coached him, and that's how we ended up hooking up. Long story short, I'm sitting in my, I'm in my, in my, my dining room, just like we are right now, and I'm t- we're talking about bankruptcy a minute and everything like that. And he's, he, I said, Chuck, you don't believe me, do you? Just like you probably don't believe me either. Jim, you know, it's kind of hard to believe, really. I'm mean, look at you right now. Look at the house. Nah, I, you know, I, okay. So I called Tom Eugen. And I said, and Tom was very irreverent. He'd drop F-bombs like, like nobody's no more. Yeah. So I called Tom Eugen. I said, Tom, you're on speakerphone. So clean up the language. <laughs> and I said, uh, let me ask you a question, Tom. When you, and I, he joined me at that time. I had to actually dismiss my, my dad's accountant, my father's accountant, because he wasn't reporting properly to me about what was going on with the books, right? And so got, I had to do make the decision, brought in Tom Eugen on recommendation of a very good friend of my father's. And so he comes in, and so we're doing our thing. So here we are, Chuck. This was Chuck was still living at the time. So this is probably three years ago, let's say, and he's on the, at the dining room table. And I said, Chuck, uh, I said, Tom, I said, back when you came into the dealership, I said, uh, was I bankruptcy imminent? And he started laughing. I'm like, <laughs> what are you laughing for, man? He says, you were way beyond bankruptcy imminent. He says, you were ready to fall off a cliff. That's the exact words he said. And I said, uh, okay, Tom. I said, so uh, let me ask you a question, Tom. Did you think I was going to make it? And he said, there is no effing way. We, we didn't clean it up totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no effing way. You weren't getting out of that. I said, looks like we did, huh, Tom? He said, you sure did. And, of course, I was out of the business by that time. But anyway, so, so, so um, Tom Eugen and, 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 and Jim Kotarski and Jimmy Lawn and Mr. Hamilton and Al Lazar and on and on and on. And so I was so successful, and I'm getting these trophies and these awards and these hugs and these pats on the back. And Jim, you're a people, I'm a guru and all these things. I'm a car business king, and I'm the best dealer in America, and all this, all this, these plaudits. But I knew in my heart of hearts that, that I couldn't take the credit. It, it wasn't me. It was the mentors. And so back in that day, I have it in my journal. I don't know the exact day, but I wrote it in my journal. I said, someday I'm going to start this company. And the idea behind the company is going to be, you know, give a woman a fish and she eats for one day. But if I teach her how to fish, she's going to eat for uh, a lifetime. 
give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him how to fish, he eats for a lifetime. That was the basic theme in this thing. And I felt very strongly, reason why makes me cry, I felt that if I took this information to the grave with me, that I would be very, very selfish. Yeah. I'd be the mon amongst the most selfish people on the planet. And I didn't want that to be my legacy. And so I, 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 I had this idea, uh, you know, just like on the front porch with you and Katie and at 94. Well, I had this idea back, and I think it was like 2000, let's say four or five. I have to look. It's in my journal. And um. And it doesn't matter, but I had this vision back then that someday I would start this company. So now I'm out of the business and it's like, okay, it's go time. It's go time. I got to start sharing this information. And so that's what started this whole thing. And I, uh, I have so many things in my head that uh, I want to say that, uh, you know, we need to do 10 more of these, right? There's so many things I want to say that need to be said. I have to imagine, so the other two things as an external, you know, we just met, I, I don't know you that well, but, but absorbing your story and absorbing a lot of stories like these, there's two things that really jump out to me is with the surprise or kind of sudden passing of your father, you were also maybe not uh, as fully equipped as he would have wanted because he wanted to still have you under yeah, his wing yeah. for longer and be yeah. able to provide the Agreed. wisdom and guidance. I just called my dad yesterday for, for guidance on a, a, on, on, on a thing. And so I also interpret both your wisdom willingness to do the estate planning and pass it off to them Absolutely. and still be there. And the production of this course, not that it's just for your kids, but I'm sure you've heard of Randy Pausch, the last lecture. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So in that same way, cry, we're like, maybe, talk about making me cry. Yeah. Talk, read, read the book amazing. multiple times and watch the, you uh, think the lecture's for you. And then at the end he's like, head fake, this is for my kids yeah. because this is, this is what I'm going to have to pass on to them. Yeah, lovely. And so in a similar lovely. sense, Carnegie Mellon. Amen. You have that, that broader perspective of trying to help as many people as you can with the knowledge, but also, you know, for your kids, as they take the short motive and your grandkids and, and eventually yeah, great grandchildren yeah. onto this family business, should they choose, they're going to have every resource that you could possibly provide them Correct. to avoid the same mistakes Correct. and be enabled to go, uh, reach even greater heights. Yeah, there's no question. And, um, so there's a couple of things to that. Okay. There's, there's more to it than even that. So number one, my dad died in the saddle. And, and by the way, so did Mr. Hamilton. He lived to be 89, but he's, he's 89. I can remember going to visit him, and I visit him often. He's in his office signing checks, and I'm like, my thought was, you're 89 years old. He's on oxygen, and he's signing checks. And I'm yeah. like, why are you? And I didn't say this because he was my mentor. I'm not going to yeah. be disrespectful, but like, I thought, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. And so my dad died in the saddle at 63. He literally dropped dead. He, he, he's the guy. He's gone. Mr. Hamilton died at 89, worked his butt off, very successful. Like, man, maybe maybe you're right, we need to have a purpose, but maybe like at 82, it's like, okay, I'm going to go sit on the beach and drink, have a few drinks or whatever the case may be. It's like, I've earned that, right? Yeah. But he didn't do that. He He's signing checks. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And that was part of the impetus was learning from the negative negativity of that dying in the saddle thing. That was one thing I very clearly didn't want to do. Yeah. Secondly was the lack of education. Spot on. I wanted to give them the platform that they could, number one, learn what to do, but also learn what not to do, and then that they could pass it on to their organization. So they've 10X the company with those principles. And then, of course, yeah, the, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Now, that's a legacy. Yeah. That's a legacy. But it's, at the same time, I want to be very clear about this because, you know, I'm, I'm a big thinker, and I think in terms of million, right? Million, million, 100,000, 50 million. Right? And so with this thing that I'm doing called Results from Thinking 2.0 and, and or I'm sorry, uh, Rethink U 2.0 and Results from Thinking, uh, I, I, I know that it's going to be very big. 
I already know that because the message is so powerful that you're not going to be able to stop it, right? Yeah. I'm not going to be able to stop it. But I want to be clear here that that's not my vision. And I have to be very careful that because I'm a big thinker and a million and 10 million, 100 million and stages, selling out stadiums, all stuff. That's not what this is all about. This is all about one very important person that I can touch. And that's it. And so that one very important person, all I ask for is the stories. I just want your story, right? And so if that one becomes 10, well, it's 10x the joy. I get the joy from the stories, right? This is not a money-making scheme for me. It's the stories, right? So if that one becomes 10 or becomes 100 or becomes a million, okay, I really want to be very, very careful that I don't lose sight of the fact of this one very important person at a time. Because this is a real live human being across the table for me. And and boy, you know, if I could somehow cause a life change, a change in direction for that person, that's the joy, right? To be, to be you know, I call it my funeral test, right? So my funeral test is, you know, I've hit my goal, 122, healthy, happy, terrific, relaxing years. I am 122, you know, and I dropped dead at 122. I just freaking fall over and drop dead. What a great way to go, right? So now I'm in a hole, 122, and this person walks up to my hole and is looking at me, and he's got his wife or she's got her husband or they've got their significant others, whatever the case may be. They've got a group, right, a group there. And as you see that guy there, that guy in that hole there, that guy changed my life. And everything we have today, the car, the boat, the, the, the vacation place, the going on trips, the, 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 the mission we've, we've, we've established, whatever everything we have is because of that guy right there. Well, see, that's a life well lived for that one person. And the more people that show up and say that, that the, the better the life had been lived. So, how, so who shows up and how long is the line? The second question about the funeral test is somebody shows up and says, listen, yeah, I'm just here to make sure this guy's dead because he was a total a-hole. And I hated him. I want nothing to do with him. And I just want to make sure he's, is he really dead? Yeah. Okay. I'm out of here. And the more people to say that, that's my legacy. Yeah. That's a bad legacy, right? He was a jerk. He was greedy. He was this, he was that. He was a moron. He was rude. You know, you want to judge people, people's character. Watch how they treat the waiters and the waitresses. Watch that. You'll say, hmm, I, I, I want no part of that. I want no part of that. I love waiters. I love waitresses. Uh, I don't want to be Jim Shorkey, Mr. Big Shot, you know. I, I'm there to to have my meal and to be very kind and very gracious. And uh, and, and I compliment people. Man, you're doing a great job. Like, I, got, I was a giant eagle yesterday. I got some kombucha, right? You remember the kombucha? Oh, yeah. yeah, I got some kombucha. And I'm checking out. And the young man, when I said, man, you did a great job. Good, good, good work, man. You know, and I do that every time. Not because it's any self-serving thing. It's because I think people need to be recognized, right? Yeah. And so... And it's rare. It's it's so it much is. rarer it's, than so, people realize. A, like we're checking out, and the thing, and we, we're on our phone, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It's like, what the heck? Put the phone. Like, you saw what I did when I said, I said my phone's off. I don't, I don't want that thing. I'm, I'm respecting you. When yeah. I pick this phone up, I watched watch a TED talk about this, and I'm, hold on a second, Aaron. I'm saying you're not important. Yeah. This is more important than you. And that's what the guy, that's what it was. Uh, it was actually Simon, Simon Sinek. You, you heard him? I'm, yeah. He says, when you walk in the room with this in your hand, you're saying nobody else in the world matters except for you. Yeah. And I, th- I thought about that. And I thought, okay, when I'm with my grandchildren, phone's in the car. I leave my phone at home now. It's like, okay, I missed your call, Aaron. Sorry, man. Yeah. You'll know sometimes I'm, I'm delayed getting back to you. Probably was playing Scrabble with Amy. You know, it's important. It and if, I'm important. On, if I'm playing Scrabble and I'm on my phone, it's like, she's not important. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 
unfortunately. And so I'm checking out and I'm on my phone. It's like, oh, I'm so important. I'm so important. I got to, oh, geez. Oh, somebody liked me on Facebook. I got to get on it right away. Oh boy, I'm a big shot. No, phone is not, not even on me. It's in my car. <laughs> and I'm, this young man is very kind, very nice, does a great job. Hey, you did a great job, man. It's all it takes. Just, you know, so I want that to be my legacy. Amen. Well, that is the perfect, the perfect note for us to, to wrap up on. I am certain that we will be doing this again at some point in the future, Jim, uh, because there's, there are many more minds for us to, to go, uh, exploring together. So, uh, for folks that want to learn more about, uh, you, this project, rethink you, these, these things that you you have that you're up to, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide folks to check out? Well, we have one that's very easy. It's called, we have a, a, a community called the goal achiever community. There's 1400 people in that community right now. And you just go on Facebook and look for groups and see the goal achiever community it's private so we have to allow you to get in but you just make a request and we let everybody in and when somebody shows a picture of pornography or whatever we kick them out you know you know how that goes but it's a good bar exactly yeah. <laughs> we don't we don't want the bull crap but like somebody posted yesterday in, in our group about it was, she was advertising that they have jobs it was a young lady she works for they have these jobs available i'm like that and i texted her back. that's a great message thank you because the people that are in our community may maybe somebody's looking for a job right it's that kind of stuff i like you know or Whatever. So, so we want people to come into the group, and if they post total bullcrap, they're going to get kicked out. But if they're selling something that, that we, that we kind of agree with and like, then yeah, we're going to let them do that, right? But anyway, so there's 1,400 people in our Goal Achiever community. Our site is Results from Thinking. Okay. And by the way, thanks for the glitch. Uh, Derek fixed it, I guess. Yep. So, but that's, we don't know these things, right? Because I'm not downloading the book. I've read it. And I, you know. <laughs> right. Anyways, so, um, but results from thinking, all one word. And then our, our self development program is called Rethink You 2.0. And it's really wonderful. Actually, Sarah Macon is, is part of that. And because um, she's a, a, a lady that did what I told her to do and has had incredible success as a result of my advice, with along with many, 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 many other people's advice. So I'm not the only one. But she's in there. And she actually uh, is speaking. So, so what it is, I'm sorry, it's, um, it's a video course along with a workbook. And it's uh, myself and Derek Kelly and then a lot of our students. And I'm going to say probably six, if I was guessing, uh, students that uh, some of them actually teach in the, in the thing and then just commenting on what happened, right, with, yep. as a result of this stuff. So it's called Rethink You 2.0, and it's $397. And, um, you know, the question I would ask people is, because sometimes people really focus on the 397 I say, you know, let's not focus on what it costs you to do it. Let's focus on what it costs you to not do it. And if I'm right, this thing might be worth $3.97 million, right? What if it was? Well, it cost you... Well over three million, or maybe it's worth. How much did the first copy of Thinking Grow Rich cost you? Fifteen bucks. If 15 I was guessing. Bucks, what was that worth? Yeah, to what you? did this cost you? Twelve. I don't even know. Yeah. So it's not. It, it costs you twelve, but if you don't read it, it costs you a million. Yep. And it, maybe it's not a million because we're talking big numbers here. But maybe it costs you a hundred bucks, right? Yep. Twelve dollar investment. Pretty good return, but that book's worth a million. It's worth a hundred thousand a year. It's worth whatever, because if you do what the man tells you to do, you're gonna you're gonna get rich in some way. And remember, you know, you may not want to get rich with money. I did. I'll yeah. be frank with you. I did. I don't have any any qualms about saying it. I think money is important. I wanted to have enough money to do the things that I wanted to do when I wanted to do them with no worries. And so yeah. that's it. And so um, I'm not afraid to say. 
And I actually had to change my thinking about that. And I, so I have an affirmation, which you probably don't want me to share, but it was about... Oh, bring it. Okay. So the affirmation was, I, I, I grew up with the idea that money is the root of all evil, which is not even a true quote. It's a, it's, it's, that's been misinterpreted for centuries, but we'll leave that all off the table. Money is not the root of all evil. That's just not true. Uh, or the love of money, excuse me. That's also not true. If you read it and really digest, dissect it, you'll find it to be the case. So anyways, uh, money is a, is, you don't love money. You don't do, how are you going to get something if you don't love it, right? So, so I developed this affirmation on my own from these guys. And, and the affirmation is this, right? I love money. I love making money. I am a money-making machine. I am a money magnet. I am attracting money to me. Yes, I am. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the money. And I said that a million times. And I changed my thinking around money because money is important. And so if I'm going to have this cause here, this cause right now, I'm not making money on this. I'm spending money on this. I pay money. Every year, monthly, excuse me, to get this rethink you thing going, mm-hmm. it cost me a lot of money, and I'm not going to get into those details. But you know, so so money is important, and for those of us in the in your audience to think it's not, you're making a categorical categorical mistake because it is important. And just like I can, I mean, I think if you said if if I said to you right now, how do you like your house? I love my house. Well, isn't that the same thing? You know, how do you like your car? Oh, I love my car. Oh man, what kind of car do you have? I got a Honda CRV. Yeah. I love my car, right? Do you like it? Does the job. Do you love it? I like it. What's the love? I see this. Uh, That's this okay. Could be sacrilegious. I'm not a huge car That's guy. That's okay. What I'm, do you love? Um, I I love my family. I love cool. um I love my friend's lake house. I have a, a friend with a, illegal. Just the perfect lake house. Illegal. Illegal. You can't love that. You can't love. Can't love material things. <laughs> Against the rules. Why? Who made those rules? You know. That's yeah. a, That's what I'm saying. Like. I, I love that. Yeah. Where's the lake house at? Uh, it's in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Where at? Um, I'm gonna we have dealerships the, in Gainesville. I'm going to blank on the name. I'll look is it up Lanier? after. It's the other one. There's, the, Lanier's, Lanier's the big huge. one. Yeah. They're, at the, they're at like the yeah. second biggest one. They're in one. Gainesville, which is right. I guess that's where Lake Lanier is, basically. Right. Well, cool. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Yeah. But it, uh, the neat thing about it is it's free, right? It's free. Mm-hmm. Costs no money to get there. Costs no money to get home. And you, and you don't have to eat while you're there. You don't go out to any restaurants. So it's free, right? No, it's not. Now, maybe the house is free. Yeah, it's your friend, whatever. But no, it's not free. I mean, that's, that's a name. I, I want my, th- their ability to host like that. And they host this friend and that friend and this family member. And that's that's lovely. That's the goal. So that's, that's one of, that's one of my money visions. Goal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, well, it's yeah, going to take money. Is somebody give you this lake house? <laughs> no, it's going to take money. Is somebody going to give it to you? No. Are you going to walk down the street and you're just walking down the street, got a nice shirt on, nice pants, somebody says, yeah. hey, come here, Aaron. <laughs> I got a house I want to give you. You really <laughs> no. think that's going to happen? No. Probably not. Yeah. Mark Cuban's probably not going to call you up today and say, hey, Aaron, I listened to your podcast. I got a lake house in Gainesville, Florida that I'm going to give you because I think you're doing great work. Probably yeah. not going to happen. If it does, that'd be great. Yeah. Probably not. But loving that, why is that such a bad thing? Who's selling us on these ideas? Like, I love money. I really do. I learned from Jim Rohn. I think it was Jim Rohn. I love Jim Rohn, by the way. And so when I, when I, if I and I can prove it to you. So when I, when I take my wallet out, I have money in my wallet. And I think it was Jim Rohn taught me this. It might have been Zig Ziglar. Somebody did. But that when you arrange your money, you arrange it. I can't make this stuff up. Respectfully. So we respect money, right? Look what I do. One, 10, 20, 20, 20. Look how they're all... In order, right? Yeah. And so rather than be crumpled up and like, look, 
And that was a little thing that I learned. It's like, and I started doing it. It wasn't that this is like, oh, you did that, therefore you're going to be rich. But it was like, it made me think about respecting money, about respecting the cash flow, about respecting the accounting. So this is a little mini thing that every day, because you're getting your wallet every day. Like if you go to the gas station, yeah. you take your money out, you pay for thing, and then you got to rearrange it again respectfully. Yeah. Respectfully. So there's an interesting... Um, uh, you know, way it's been framed, if you're trying to build a business, it's not one switch that was flipped. It's not one change. Oh, God, no. It's thousands of micro adjustments. And Absolutely. someone sees, you know, the point A and the point B that were achieved. In your case, someone may just see bankruptcy imminent, uh, oh, how yeah. many no, dealerships. No. Yeah, you're right. But reality is there are a thousand different adjustments. And what I'm also hearing is your framework for a relationship to money, a, a relationship to um, wealth and, and, and these types of ideas is one of the little adjustments is how you arrange your cash in your wallet. Yeah. One of the adjustments is uh, going from not having an affirmation to having an affirmation. Yes. One of those other adjustments, we can go on and on down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Keep track. Like it's like, well, if you want to take care of your health, one a really good, simple thing you could do is weigh yourself every day. Yeah, that would that be that be one thing, and then at the same time, stand naked in front of a mirror. So have a look. Like, how do I look? That looks so good. Well, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah, at home, not at the mall. <laughs> oh, you can do it at the mall because there's any law against that. Probably get in trouble. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, probably. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I joke, but no, yeah, at home, yeah. But stand naked in front of the mirror. You know, should we do that? I think so. I think if I think if uh, the broad, if the broad uh, population of America stood naked in front of the mirror, I mean, every, not everybody's going to. Some people are delusional, but some people are going to say, "Wow, what in the heck happened to me?" You know what? I told you this, right? Donuts aren't a health food. Pizza, not a health food. Fritos, not a health food. So I got to stop doing that. I got to start doing the broccoli. I went to the store yesterday and bought some kombucha. I didn't buy Coca-Cola. Yeah. Kombucha is a pro-body drink. It's very good for Jim Shorkey. 122, healthy, happy, terrific, relaxing years. On the front porch with you at 94, talking to you and my daughter Katie and Lila and, and, my, and, my, and my great grandchild. I don't want to miss that, right? And so do you think I've thought it through the whole way through? And do you think I'll continue to do that? Yep. Yes, absolutely. So we end every single one of these interviews, Jim, with a challenge for the audience. It's yeah. something they can go implement the next day, week, month. You've given us a bunch already over the course of the interview, but knowing that this is the last chance on the mic to speak to them, uh, what would you want to, uh, what is the actionable personal challenge that you'd like to issue to okay. the audience? Tell me what you pay for this book again. I'm going to, I'm going to say it was 12 bucks, maybe 15 bucks just to be conservative. Okay. So what I want the audience to do is I want you to go buy this book for 15 bucks. And it's actually two books. So there's a book in the back here, which is really actually even better. It's how to get what you want. But how, how intriguing is that? How to get what you want? Well, I want to know that. How do I get what I want? 122, healthy, happy, terrific years. How do I do that, right? So um, my challenge is to get this book, number one. Actually, I have three challenges. Okay, Bring it. So it's, it's 10 bucks, actually. 10 bucks. <laughs> well, I'll take two. <laughs> so number one, I want you to buy the book for 10 bucks. Number two, I want you to read it three times. Three times. I want you to get a pen, a pencil, a highlighter. I want you to really, really dissect this book. And then I'm going to give you my email address, which is jimshorkey1957 at gmail.com. You have it, Aaron. So you yep. can put it in the show notes. Great year. And I want you to email me uh, with whatever questions or disagreements, whatever problems you have with a book. And, um, and then I will do a live Facebook video based on those emails that I get with the challenge. Okay? Cool. And say, yeah, here's what... Aaron said about this and here's how I dissect that and here's what here's what Hannah said about this and here's what I think about that and no Hannah you got you got that wrong you just you didn't get this you misinterpreted this right because I know this book really really well and so that's my challenge get the book 
read it three times, and then email me and tell me I'm full of crap. <laughs> okay. And I, I can take it. I'm a horse open. I got thick skin, brother. The third can... step might be the difficult one. No, no, but, uh... no, no. Hey, I would, I love that. Tell me I'm full of crap. Disagree with me. I, and by the way, you, as, as, as I expected, you had absolutely zero chance, zero chance of accepting my challenge. What was my challenge? Stop me. Yeah. You didn't. I knew you wouldn't. Maybe on the next one. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I'm a car salesman. I move fast, man. Ooh, man I'm, in, I'm in and out, man. I, yeah, yeah, no, you won't get me. Well, I, I'm going to take that challenge at some point down the line, and, and we'll do this again. Uh, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time oh, so, man, I so love much. It, man. I love you guys. This, this is great. fantastic. Great to be here. We just went deep with Jim Shorkey. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the end of my interview with Jim. If you found it valuable, I am confident you would also enjoy our past interview with Jason Wolf, who went from living in his car to selling one of his companies for $120 million. He gets into all of it, including how he's built his team. So go check that out and hit subscribe because we've got some fantastic interviews coming real soon. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.